Welcome to the Viewer's Cut, and this is Adam's Top 10. I'm your host, Adam Galloway, and today we have two guests with us. First, I want to introduce my pal, Mauricio. How are you doing today, Mauricio? Hello, muggles, witches, and wizards. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> and with uh, Mauricio, we have a first-timer. His name is Andrew, and this is his first time coming on Adam's Top 10. How are you doing, Andrew? You're a wizard, Mauricio. I don't know. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> you more of a pirate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're talking Pirates of the Caribbean. No, we are talking uh, Harry Potter on this episode. Uh, this will be a very special episode because I know there are a lot of Harry Potter fans out there. And uh, I'm very glad you guys joined us. I know you guys are both uh, into the Harry Potter movies and I know you guys have a lot to say. Uh, I do not. Well, ho <laughs> hold on. I don't know that I want it out there that I'm into the Harry Potter movies. Uh oh. We'll, we'll say... We'll say mm -hmm. I'm a fan. We'll say you're a fan. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll play it safe. When we did the Lord of the Rings episode, I know you did a lot of comparison, uh, uh, comparisons with Harry Potter. Mauricio, I know you're a, you're a big fan of this series as well. So we want to get in and uh, discuss a little bit uh, what makes these movies so special. And my first question to both of you is, uh, did you guys read each book before you saw each movie? I No, I did not. There were many movies I watched before reading the books. Uh, I think the only ones I watched after reading the book were uh, the first one, uh, Philosopher or Sorcerer's Stone, whatever you want to call it. And then the, th the th yeah, uh, Chamber of Secrets and uh, number four, which is Goblet of Fire. Those were the ones that I watched after reading the book. Okay, and I believe, I don't know how this for a fact, but I believe the first four books were out before the first movie came out. Is that correct? Uh, I, if that's not true, at least the first three. The okay. first three came out, like, basically one after the other one. Okay, okay, perfect. What about you, Dodd? So, so my answer to that is kind of both. I tried to read the first book back in, like, 99, before there was a movie, and I just couldn't get into it. Um, I think I had to read it for school or something where I didn't really care that much. And uh, then I saw the first movie and that I really liked it and that inspired me to go back, reread the first one, and then I picked up and I read all of them from there. So after that, I was always one book ahead of each movie at least. Now, I'm curious, uh, Did uh, this is for both you guys, did you guys see uh, all the movies in the theater? I... I believe I did. I'm having a weird, uh, I don't know, I'm having trouble remembering like the the middle. Like if I watched the third one and the second one in theaters, I believe so. I don't know any reason why I wouldn't. What about you, Dodd? Yeah, I definitely did. I can remember each one. And in fact, I never saw, how do I put this? I saw each movie in theater with different people. There was no one person who I saw more than one Harry Potter movie in the theater with. You you, you had a friend and you, that friend wasn't a friend for the second one. Then you made a new friend and the new friend didn't. <laughs> yeah, was I, friend for the I next go one. through. I go through friends a lot. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't we all? I'll give you a year and a half and then boom, you're out the door. <laughs> you have to prove yourself. So this is a good segue then. Uh, I did not see any of these in the theater. Uh, I'm not a, any. I didn't see any of them in the theater. I am uh, not a Harry Potter fan, and I'm, <gasps> I, I know, so for everyone listening, mm -hmm. we're going to get this out of the way early, 
and then we're going to let, you know, the, the better people talk because I, I'm not a fan of these. I do appreciate the movies, but I'm not a huge fan. Like I said, I didn't see any of them in the theater. My introduction was actually Chamber of Secrets. I saw it Ooh. in school, and then I went back and watched uh, the first one. But uh, so we're, we're going to do a ranking of each uh, of each movie, of where we put them in, in each of our orders. And uh, and then we got some questions. We want to talk about the, the series as a whole and compare the books and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to go first just because I really don't have much to say. And uh, I've only seen the movies once. So just a little bit of an introduction. Uh, my wife is a huge Harry Potter fan. And we had an agreement where she was going to watch all the Rocky movies. And I was going to watch all the Harry Potter movies. So I believe we did Harry Potter first, if my memory serves me. But I watched all of them. And, uh, like they're, they're well made. They're, they're just not, I'm not really into the, into the style. How many, how many Rocky movies were out at that time? Uh, (laughs) God, I don't know. I I think it was, (laughs) who had to watch more? Mm -hmm. Well, Jamie went and saw Creed and Creed two in the theater. So I think it's even now because there's eight Rocky movies, right? So is it ongoing? If they keep making Rocky movies, does she have to keep seeing I guess, I guess, yeah, it might be in our, <laughs> it might be in our, uh, our marriage contract. I'll have to look into it to see. It probably works yeah, both ways, though. It. Yeah. it probably works yeah, both the ways. <laughs> the contract. Right, right. So I do have a ranking. I have seen every movie at least once, and there's a few I've seen more than once. Uh, but uh, and she's actually listening to the Harry Potter books right now, so I was able to watch a couple of the movies before recording this. So we'll get my ranking out of the way, and then we'll go have some fun with Andrew and Mauricio. So uh, at at number eight, I have the Deathly Hollows part one. I'm, I I don't like that. They broke the the last book up. And I thought uh, from what I remember from Deathly Hollows part one, it just seemed like a little bit of filler. I know there's stuff happening in it, but I just didn't think it was really necessary. I probably would have preferred just a longer, like one movie, uh, contrary to what I usually say about length of movies. I would have probably just preferred that. But anyways, I don't, I wasn't really a huge fan of it. I like part two a lot more. Uh, my number seven is Order of the Phoenix. I wasn't a huge fan. I was actually relatively bored in this movie. I don't really remember much from it. Uh, I believe it's not one of Jamie's favorites either. I don't know where she would put it in a ranking, but I know she's not the, the biggest fan of it, but she likes all the movies. So, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Uh, number six is The Half-Blood Prince. Uh, all I remember from this one is obviously the big twist with Snape. Uh, but again, I found it a, a little boring compared to, to the other ones. Uh, number five is Chamber of Secrets. And it probably would have been higher, uh, maybe because of nostalgia, because it was the first one I saw. But I just find it incredibly long. It, I think it's the longest movie. Uh, if my uh, Based on my research, I, I believe it is the longest movie. And I think it's it just overstays its welcome a little bit. But the third act is exciting. But uh, I, I don't, you know. I believe it's the introduction of Dobby, right? That's the first time we see Dobby. Uh, Chamber of Secret, yeah. Yes, okay. Uh, number four is, I'm using Philosopher's Stone. I know uh, for the American audiences, I believe it's Sorcerer's Stone. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Correct. Okay. Because so, I don't know why, but yes. Because they're, they're smarter than us or whatever. I don't know. But um, <laughs> So my number four is Philosoph- Philosopher's Stone. I think it's a fun, cute movie. Chris Columbus directed it. It's got a lot of charm to it. I've seen it twice, and I, it's just a good introduction to this world, and I, I think you know it's fun to see them as kids. Uh, my number three is Deathly Hollows Part 2. I think it's a good conclusion. I like the third act. I think it's overall a really exciting uh, 
you know, for you know, for the big epic conclusion of this story, and I really enjoyed it. I believe I've seen it twice, and um, and then this leads to my top two, and these two are interchangeable. They've always been my favorites to the ones I've seen the most, and to the ones I just saw. Process of Elimination leaves uh, number three and number four, and I do believe Prisoner of Azkaban is the better movie, but it is my number two. Uh, because I think Goblet of Fire, which is my number one, I think it's a more fun movie, and I would I would categorize it more as my favorite. But I do think Prisoner of Azkaban is a better made movie. I think had the best director in the series, Alfonso. It gave the series a much uh, a much needed change in tone. It's very evident when you watch the third one compared to the first two. So those are my top two. I think they're the two best ones. And based on my last viewings, I enjoyed Goblet of Fire just a tiny bit more. So it's my number one. So there you go. That's my ranking. It's over. It's, it's over, everyone. <laughs> Oof. There you go. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. See you next week. Have a good day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> when we talk about the cursed child. There we go. Oh, oh, and I, I do just want to say I do really appreciate this this franchise, this series. I haven't read the books, unfortunately, but uh, I'm not a big reader. But I do appreciate it. Uh, like I said, my wife's a huge fan, and I know she loves them and she grew up on them. So I'm I'm glad I get to join you guys and and ask you guys a few questions about the series because I know you guys have much more knowledge. So I'm gonna pass it over to Mauricio. Who is going to uh, who's going to dive deep for us? So go ahead, Mauricio. Dun dun. All right. So I did my uh, list too. Something I want to bring up from the first movie to the last one. There's something that kind of frustrates me, and it's like, you know, the first movie they this Harry just jump into the wizarding world, whatever, and every time he pops up somewhere, he goes like, Harry Potter. So the legend's true. He's alive, and it's like, yeah, and then. Until the seventh uh, movie, you keep getting Harry Potter. So it's true. It's like, bitch, where have you been? <laughs> I just need that oblivious character to leave the movie at one point. I could have stopped on the second one, but I kept going. Anyways, that's just me just dragging the fact that they keep being surprised about Harry Potter, even though he was in the news. Um, okay, let's move on. Uh, okay, so in... <laughs> right. So number eight, I have a, a Chamber of Secrets. I I think it's it was just too long. I The book wasn't didn't even feel that long. It just keeps stretching and stretching. It, it's not that it was boring, but it was just like too much. Even me as a kid, I was like, oh, God. It was a little... It was dragging for me. It was dragging a little bit. Uh, number seven, I have Deadly Hallows number one and yeah i know the book was cut in half i don't know if that's good or bad i mean the hobbit is one book cut in three movies so i i think it made more <laughs> sense this way and um, it was a very very thick book that, uh, and it was a lot to digest and even there's so many things that are don't appear on the movie that even in the movie if you haven't read the book they might be confusing they might be what is the meaning of this who are these people so I understand the necessity of cutting in half. Uh, following that, I have the Philosopher's Stone, and, and or the Sorcerer's Stone, <laughs> La Piedra Filosofal in Spanish, if you want. And Wait, in Spanish, what does that translate to? Philosopher or uh, sorcerer? Philosopher. Ha! So, there you go. Aha! Um, gotcha. So, yeah, like in comparison, like I know I have a... a Columbus sandwich there because I have uh, 
the Chamber of Secrets, the Deadly Hallows, that is way more slower and darker because he has to be. And I like slow movies in a way, so I didn't mind too much. And then followed by Philosopher's Stone, it's kind of weird. But Philosopher's Stone for me is the opening to the, the series. It's It has everything you love from the books. It actually, I think, represents the book in a very good way. Like, it, it helped to make a phenomenal cast. Like, the casting is like they look exactly like they describe in the books. So I think as an opener, it was very well made and very fun and great for kids. Very bright, very fun. Uh, follow that, I have Order of the Phoenix. I know it's, like you say, I've heard from many people, they say it's very boring or it drags. And it's, it could be, but I actually uh, enjoy the evolution of some of the characters. I like the, the darkness in it. Uh, it differs in some things from the books. Uh, like the book is, it's a little bit more campy, I feel, especially at the end when they're fighting in the ministry of magic. But yeah, it's, it could get boring, especially the middle when they're training. Uh, followed by that, I have what I call the Sepia movie, which is the Half-Blood Prince. Uh, that if you watch that movie compared with the Order of the Phoenix, Order of the Phoenix is like dark blue. And uh, Half-Blood Prince is just like seeing an old photo, which kind of goes with the, the idea inside the movie of, you know, the characters remembering uh, many things from the past, how the past is just, you know, like uh, chasing them and hunting them in many ways. And I, th I think it plays very well in that, uh, with that technique in it, uh, if that was the idea. There's a lot of flashbacks in this movie because we're uh, the pensive, they're getting lost in the memories of everyone. It's happening in a very, you know, like every four scenes they're going back and forth. And I think it's very fun. I think it's very, it's very dark. It's very, it's starting to give you the, that taste of things are getting, things are getting heavy. It's not going to get easier from here. And yet the bigger twist, one of the bigger twists in the, in the series is there. Not only for Snape, but for Dumbledore as well. So it's, it's a lot to digest. Um, follow that, I have uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. I, I think it was, uh, again, the first step into the dark side of Harry Potter. It was the first step into um, living behind that childish-ish uh, look of it. Very uh, home alone, very bright. Uh, they even made so many changes, like they changed the, the castle, they changed the, the grounds, the, some characters were even uh, like readapt their personality, uh, was readjusted, so we had a new Dumbledore for um, reasons that were beyond uh, what, you know, sadly, uh, one of them, uh, what was his name of the first uh, actor in Dumbledore? Richard uh, Harris. Richard Harris, thank you. Uh, sadly, he passed away. But I think they, they did very good with the new cast. And I think it worked perfectly, especially because in the future, Dumbledore becomes more active, more like fighting skills kind of thing. And so it worked for them in a way, uh, in a sad way. But. Uh, so yeah, Prisoner of Azkaban, I think it was a great turn for the series. It was, they brought a phenomenal director for it. And I think it's all, for many people, one of their favorite books. And I think they did justice. And uh, number two, following uh, Prisoner, I have Deadly Hallows, second part, part two, yada, yada. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a climax of the, of the whole thing. And I think it's, uh, it does it very well. I, it wasn't as boring as you might, for me, it wasn't boring at all. But for some people, the, the first part was very boring. And this one definitely take a step 
forward and to more action, more the fighting is seen, is what you want to see, the, the ending of the whole thing. The only problem I have with it, I don't care, is that last scene of them old and the train station. I can't... <laughs> sorry, I appreciate the makeup, but that's just them fat and tired. It's not... I couldn't, I couldn't dive into the, that final scene. It was so distractive. I know that if you bring a new actor, it will be awful because you're going to disconnect with the actual actors that you've been following the whole time. But I just see old kids having kids around them. It didn't feel like the paternal side of them. Uh, it was very distractive. I'm that assuming that's in the book, that, that same ending? Is that? Yeah, but, you know, it's visually, it's, you, you, you have no control over it. And it, just, it was just was so distractive. I, I agree. Was like, I, I didn't like it either. I was lost in the these three characters through the whole series and now i'm just seeing them all and like eh. no uh, they lost me there but that's okay i don't think that stained the movie or ruins the whole thing it was fine it was not a game of thrones situation it didn't break anything um finally i have what for me it's the obviously right default we know what it is for me it's the most fun movie it was the most entertaining book of the whole series in my opinion um, and I'm talking about The Goblet of Fire and I think it's a very important movie because we also witnessing the first death in screen and I know we've seen Harry's parents died and everything on flashback but this is the first actual death of not only a um, good character but a student a young person dies on screen by uh, Dumbledore, uh, Dumbledore by uh, Voldemort itself plot twist Dumbledore is Voldemort um <laughs> <laughs> so we see the first moment of violence, the first moment of this is serious. If you thought Prisoner of Azkaban was serious because it's a dark mood, no, this is what it is. It's an actual, like, uh, the consequences of what they're facing. It's not like just magic and spells and pretty things anymore. This is like people are, people are going to die. Um, I think rolling by uh, killing a character like that is like proving like I'm not afraid of killing other good characters that you would think would be safe. So I definitely think that movie may took a very important turn on the series. And definitely like watching it in the, uh, in the theaters, it was so fun. A lot of panoramic views, very almost like a uh, lot of the ring ish when they're walking in New Zealand and you see the big aerial shots. They do that a lot in this one for some of the games, the fight with the dragon, the thing in the lake. So visually, it's also very, very good. And it's definitely my favorite book of the whole series. So yeah, that's my number one. That's my list. Booyah. Beautiful list, Mauricio. We had some, we had some in common. Ah, uh -huh. finally. Well, I, I, I don't know how a lot of people interpret the series. So it was interesting to hear that I'm not really that far off. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, think, I feel like, um, well, you might defer is what people, what book it's better for some people mm -hmm. but movie wise i think you know we can all have the same feeling especially like if asking someone about marvel that never read the comics you will have a sense of which movie is better which one you like the most so. interesting i didn't even think about that yeah. it could be a, a really boring top 10 if we all have the same <laughs> exactly <laughs> right on well uh that's uh we're passing the torch over to you dodd so take it away well, I did a little bit of a bonus here, and because it's top 10, I also included the Fantastic Beasts 
movies. Ooh. Oh, bitch. To round it out to 10. Okay. Don't know if that's allowed or not, but I'm going to do it. You're so, making an impact in your debut. Right? <laughs> Breaking the actually, rules. Actually, I was inspired by your Tarantino episode, actually. <laughs> oh, and Chris oh. added like I think it was Chris. Movies. Chris added some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got a lot to say, so I'll burn through it. Number 10. Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grendelwald. I don't know if you guys even saw this movie, but um, yeah. by and large, the Fantastic Beasts movie, I think most people agree these movies kind of just missed the mark. Uh, the mm. Crimes of Grendelwald is especially overbloated, o- overstuffed, muddled. It doesn't know what it is or what it wants to do with its characters. Um, I think a lot of people agree they never should have tried to jam newt scamander's story whatever that is with the whole like wizarding war uh, and dumbledore and grendelwald and all that stuff like it just shouldn't belong there um they're obviously trying to make these movies into a prequel to the harry potter movies and mm-hmm. other people before me have pointed out that fantastic beasts and newt scamander that could have potentially worked as just a series of standalone movies where each movie is like a separate adventure pertaining to him in a new culture about creatures in that culture we could have seen what magic looks like in different countries all over the world it could have been like a a globe trotting series of movies but instead they've got to tie it all in same thing the hobbit movies did same thing they're doing right now with the mandalorian they feel the need to tie it into what we uh was already a recognizable brand and it's a big mistake so number nine is obviously fantastic beasts and where to find them didn't dislike this one as much because, again, it kind of felt like a unique little story. Uh, mm-hmm. Eddie Redmayne probably could have created an endearing character with like neat little quirks and eccentricities, but instead he's rather flat and kind of hard to get behind. I don't really think they know what to do with him. I'm not really sure he knows what to do with it. Uh, the friends are kind of fun, but again... Uh, this should have been the last we've seen of them. They should have existed in this movie, and instead they bring them all back for Crimes of Grendelwald. So it's like these are not long-lasting characters, right? There should have been fun little people that he sees, he has an adventure with, and then we never see them again. Yeah, I think something, and sorry to interrupt you, I think something that played yeah. a big difference here on the way these characters were developed is that before J.K. Rowling had the chance to do it through books and expand on them, and take her time to develop them through seven books. This was her first attempt, if I'm not wrong, writing a script. And I guess she found herself being like, oh, I'm limited. I cannot do as much as I want. And I'm not I'm not saying like it's not her fault or whatever. I'm just, I just think it's someone who is not expert in how to do that on screen exclusively, found herself uh, trapped in that, that uh, you know, the limitations of uh, films instead of books, which are complete freedom. So I guess that probably played a role on uh, characters not well-developed or not be- not well-written, if so. Yeah, and I think it's a big studio thing. Like, studios are like, oh, people want to see Hogwarts. People want to see Dumbledore. People want to, like, get all that stuff in there. And it's like, take a risk, man. Just, you had eight really successful movies. Try making a fun little spinoff. It doesn't have to be as big. It can just be, like, it was nice to see the magical world in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was nice to see it in that time era. It was like the twenties or thirties. Um, could have been something really unique, fun and and lucrative in its own right. But instead by trying to tie it back into the other stuff, they wrote themselves right into the ground. And, uh, and I think audiences have responded accordingly. Right. Uh, so that's too bad. I think sort of a missed opportunity there. 
I, I feel exactly the same way about the Hobbit. Like made they should have as everyone says they should have made that one movie and it could have been tonally different than lord of the rings it could have been lighter right just because it's coming later doesn't mean it has to be as big or the stakes have to be as high like just make a different kind of movie that's a companion piece that's kind of fun too anyway i move on so out of the harry potter movies uh number eight uh, chamber of secrets Mm. i think it and uh philosopher's stone really sort of should almost be their own category they're so tonally different than the rest of the movies. Um, They're very much kids' movies or family movies. Um, That being said, I think this is still the lesser of the two. It came out only one year after the first one, and to me it's very obvious that it was rushed. Um, I I don't think they had had the time to be able to explore what they wanted to do or to trim it down, right? There's that famous expression, sorry it's so long, if I had more time I could have made it shorter. Uh, Right. I think that's why it's the longest of the movies. They didn't know how to how to cut and trim it down and make it lean. Some of the tropes were somehow already starting to feel tired, even though it's only the second movie. I found it really was kind of a retread of the first one, but somehow lost a lot of the luster. Um, the dramatics kind of are a bit over the top, a bit silly. High points for me were the spider sequence, uh, Aragog yeah. and his family in the forest. And I do really like Kenneth Branagh as uh, Gilderoy Lockhart, basically playing Kenneth Branagh. (laughs) (laughs) Just revisiting himself. It's a real easy role for him to play. Yeah, which, by the way, that that character in the books ends with a very sad, like, ending. That's what I was just going to say. He comes back later in, like, a mental institution or something, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Mondongo something, hospital for fucked up wizards or something yeah, yeah he's very sad yeah i wish i wish uh, they'd fit that in i wish uh, kenneth Branagh had come back and cameoed again later number seven the half-blood prince uh i don't oh. think this is a terrible movie i just find it really personally i find it really boring and i think it should have been really exciting the book was very exciting uh it was a tight book as the order of the phoenix was monstrous it was so big and so long and i don't think needed to be so I think when Half-Blood Prince came out, it was much leaner. Uh, it felt like a roller coaster. There were some fun moments and some really dramatic moments. I remember reading it, being really invested. And I remember thinking, like, I really want to know who the Half-Blood Prince is. That was set up to be, like, a significant mystery in the story. You were dying to figure out who is this person. And in the movie, I just kind of felt like it was just there. Harry was just like, oh, here's some... Here's some writing that's uh, will help me with this. Like it never felt like we needed to find out who it was. That's just an example. Yeah. Uh, Voldemort's past in the books felt more important than it does in the movie. Everything just kind of felt dull to me. I think the slow pacing of it really sort of lowered the stakes to me. And even though some of the biggest things happened in that movie, it it just was a bit lackluster for me. Mm. Number six, uh, Deathly Hallows Part One kind of neat to see a different genre it was like uh, harry potter meets jack kerouac sort of thing uh it's like a road movie (laughs) um interesting to see them outside of their comfort zone i don't think hogwarts appears in the movie at all um bill and fleur's wedding is a nice set piece as is the malfoy mansion at the end Uh, but again kind of like half-blood prince it seems like there are a lot of big moments in this story that just don't land like, the story has the moments that the movie doesn't capture. Uh, Hedwig's right. death. 
the death of Mad Eye Moody, uh, the death of the Minister of Magic, Rufus Skim Scrimjow or something blah, 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 like that. Blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> and and the biggest one, which is a real shame because it was filmed and cut, was Harry saying goodbye to the Dursleys at the beginning. Right. Oh yeah yeah yeah. There's you can see behind the scenes of footage of a scene with Vernon. Uh, Uncle Vernon and Harry saying goodbye to each other. There's a deleted scene where Dursley says goodbye to Harry and sort of stands up for him and says like, "I don't, I don't hate you." So they, they have a nice sort of redemptive moment. And there's a big one with Aunt Petunia, where she says like, "You didn't just lose a mother that night. I lost my sister." And it it adds a lot of depth and weight to those characters who had none in the previous movies. And they were so important in the first. Yeah, and closure. That's right. And growth. And anyway, yeah. they played such a big part of Harry's upbringing. And then in the in the theatrical final film, they're like they barely each get a shot. They don't say any. None of them speak. They just you see them packing up the car and leaving. And I felt like that was a really unfitting end to those characters in the movies. So it uh, considering how much they had two movies to work with, they really should have found the time to hit hit hard on some of these moments. Yeah, and the death of Dobby, which honestly I know for many fans, he was like, oh no. My reaction was like, okay, I oh, really <laughs> it didn't. It didn't impact me at all. I think I wasn't a big fan of the freaking uh, house elf. I don't know why, but uh, I know I know for fans it was a very uh, emotional, tough moment, and um, it that one played a big role. That was like the last what uh, seven minutes of the film. So yeah, it was the it climax. Did, yeah. What I found emotional, like, I'm not saying I cried, but like, I think if it hits home at all, it's um, not so much Dobby's death, but Harry's trying to save him. And he looks up at the others and he says, like, help me. And it's it, like, yeah. you can see the strain on his face and they know it's too late. Like, they know he's dead. So that's what I think is poignant about that moment is it's Harry grappling with like death in his arms and he's trying to stop it from happening. And yeah. he's desperate to, to stop it and he can't. He has to accept it. And it for sure, and it's very significant. It's a way, like, I think in his mind he was always like, uh, magic can fix everything, or there's something that you always can do because it's magic. But then the reality of death, as simple as just it was tapped with a knife, a very human thing, the simplicity of it, it's just like when someone dies, it's over. And it's something that he's been uh, facing the entire, uh, the entire story, and now it's there. And knowing that the next chapter is him facing himself, facing uh, death, which is uh, Voldemort, I think it, it definitely adds a heavy weight of this is where we're going and friends are going to die and there's nothing we can do. So, yeah, definitely yeah. adds a lot of weight on that. Harry's no stranger to death, but I think Not all the all. previous deaths, Cedric and Sirius Black and Dumbledore, they were all very quick, right? They, yeah. they were cursed and then they usually fall somewhere and that's it. This is like... Dobby's been stabbed and he's bleeding out and Harry's holding him. So it's like the most drawn out death that he's been a part of. And he's, it's, it's the one that, like you said, it's the, he feels like he could perhaps intervene and stop it from happening. Uh, but he, he just has to watch, he just has to watch Dobby die. And mm -hmm. that's why he wants to bury him, right? He's like, I got to go through the whole process of going through a, a death and a closure. I got to get used the to most this. human. Yeah. It's the most human dead in the entire series, I think. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Uh, number five is The Deathly Hallows Part 2. Oh, follow. Twist. It's, basic, it's basically like what Avengers Endgame became for the MCU and what 
the Rise of Skywalker tried to be for the Star Wars universe, but Harry Potter mm. did it first. It's that big finale that brings everyone and everything together. It does it very nicely. I don't know that on its own it's a complete story, um, but it's a really nice conclusion to the whole series. The emotional beats land, particularly Snape's memories, that whole flashback sequence. Yeah. where we see clips from previous movies that are now sort of reordered and recontextualized so that we see a different side of what we already saw previously. And when put, when put together, we now associate different meanings with certain things that characters said previously. They had a nice scene of Snape discovering Lily's body, which I think was invented for the movie. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that happened in the books. And uh, Alan Rickman's performance is, is heartbreaking. I really like the... I, I do actually like the ending scene. Uh, the makeup does work for me. Okay. What it shows is that um, Harry has been able to take all of his experiences and all the lessons he's learned from those who cared about him over the years and impart that same wisdom onto his own son. It reminds us that although Harry never knew his actual parents, he actually gained a much larger family because of that and therefore has become a good father, right? That's what he's been struggling with throughout all these movies is like his own anger, his own, like how much of him is is dark. Uh, He didn't want to be in um, Slytherin. He was worried about his anger. The whole point is, no, he was surrounded by good people and uh, now he's he's become a good person and he can help his son worried about, his son's worried about the same things. He can teach him those lessons because he was taught those lessons. So yeah. Logistics of it aside, I, I do like it, and I think I, I like how it calls back to the earlier movies. We get the whole platform scene again; it kind of brings us back. Yeah, and there's some uh, like uh, characters arc that are completely like, seem Malfoy there, so it's like the forgiveness of some characters for sure. And yeah. um, it's like a circle that kind of repeats, like story repeats, like the kids going and asking the same question, have the same fears, but the fact that now this kid, which was Harry, now has the parents to take care of him and walk him through which is what didn't have and i hope he knows his child is gonna be a bully with that name he gave it um because albus severus potter it's not (laughs) the most welcoming name it's like it's even the 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 hat is one season his head is gonna be like what happened here This is also a world where people are named uh, Sirius and Scorpio, so I think we're. <laughs> yeah, I think we're okay. I give you that. Yeah, yeah Albus. Yeah. Um, a couple of quick. I have a lot to say about Deathly Hallows Part Two. A couple of quick things. I like when movies maintain continuity, and I like when even though different directors come in, some things just stay the same. And throughout the Harry Potter movies, I could sense that different directors wanted to change things. Mauricio, you mentioned how in. Prisoner of Azkaban, the grounds of Hogwarts look a little different. I'm like, okay, that's fine, but, you know, don't push it too far. And something that always bugged me was in Goblet of Fire, you see the Pensieve, that thing they look in to see their Mm -hmm. memories. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're going to say. And in Goblet of Fire, it was this great big stone pillar that came out of the wall, and you, there was like a bowl on the top of that. And then in the next movie, all of a sudden now the Pensieve is this like floating silver dish. And I was like, that's not what it looked like before. And I was so mad. And, I, and no one else cares, right, except me. And then when you watch Deathly Hallows Part 2, you see that the stone pillar comes out of the wall like we saw it originally. And then the silver dish rises out of that. And I was like, okay, I think someone purposefully was like, let's show that these two things are the same. 
I think they did just change it, and then they were later on like, okay, we can merge what we've already seen. So that was a really nice. I don't know. It always that always resonated with me. Yeah, I I know exactly that, and uh, it wasn't like the classic director director's fight like you get on Star Wars. Like like I'm gonna destroy everything people know, and then I'm gonna rebuild it, and it just becomes like a mishmash of ego from one director to the other. This one yeah. was like, okay, guys, we I understand, but we need to make it work. And I think someone at the end was like, it's the end. Let's put things together. Um, I think it was very clever, but yeah, I had the same reaction as you. It's like, what is this floating alien device? Some criticisms I have about Deathly Hallows Part 2 are that despite that book being split into two movies, they apparently still didn't have time to properly tell Dumbledore's backstory with his brother mm -hmm. and his sister, which is too bad because that's a really tragic uh, story and really uh, fleshes out his character, showing how flawed and how human he really was, which is good stuff, but we kind of missed it. Uh, mm -hmm. I wish the end battle had been just a little bit more fun. The book describes things like Professor Sprout and her students using the mandrakes that we saw in Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, to like, yeah. They were like throwing them and paralyzing the enemies. And, and Professor Trelawney was like hurling crystal balls, dropping them on people's heads. Uh, <laughs> again, both of those characters and actors were in that scene, but they weren't doing that stuff, which I was like, that seemed like a missed It was very gruesome, though. That's, that fight was very gruesome. Like the guy eating the student, which is the one that had the uh, romantic crush on Ron uh, two movies yes. ago. It yeah. was like... I had to rewatch and I was like, is it happening what I think it's happening? Yeah, she's being eaten. Uh, no, okay. It was yeah. very like gruesome. So I think that those little probably uh, funny moments like in the book like are more digestible. Probably didn't find a place. You know, because you, how can you go from throwing uh, plants that paralyze people to uh, the eater just freaking going army hammer on this girl? It's a lot. That's why I wonder if they went too far into the dark. Like maybe could have found a bit of a better balance of like heavy moments and also kind of fun moments at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, I wish I wish that they'd given some previous characters who show up in that battle the proper mo um, a proper moment to appreciate them. Like I think Oliver Wood is there, but like so briefly you can't even recognize him. Uh, the book talks about how both Buckbeak and Grop are there in the battle, and again that would have been nice to see in the movie. And finally, the very end showdown between Harry and Voldemort wasn't executed properly. It's kind of confusing. You know it ends, but you don't really know how or why it ends. And um, I think Harry should have explained, like he does in the book, I think Harry should have explained ahead of time the rules about the wand and how the wand is loyal to him. And that way, when the battle's over, we can kind of, like it's, it's not something to just watch it happen. You have to kind of know why it's happening in order to yeah. appreciate it. And I, uh, I don't think they did that properly. Anyway, that's a lot about Deathly Hallows Part 2. I'm going to move on. My number four is Order of the Phoenix. I wasn't a big fan of this book. I thought it was uh, way longer than it should have been. And I wasn't any expecting anything from the movie. And I came out pleasantly surprised. It has a collection of elements that I think stick their landing. Imelda Staunton is uh, like detestable as Umbridge, which is perfect that you want to hate mm -hmm. that character. And she did that yep. really well. I like what they do with Filch in this movie. He was sort of just like a throwaway background character in three and four. And now he's like Umbridge's comic relief sidekick. Her kind of yeah. like, uh, uh, I don't know. Like yeah, her henchman like the, the, almost. The, the, 
Yeah, or like uh, the Doctor Frankenstein uh, assistant. Igor, yeah, that's dirty right. Work, doing yeah. the dirty work. Yeah, and that's funny, and it's nice to see new use of an old character. Uh, give them something mm-hmm. new to do. Um, and the Ministry of Magic, like you said, Mauricio, was designed really well. And that scene of Harry like entering it for the first time and looking up, and he sees the big banner of uh, Cornelius Fudge. That's a mm-hmm. like an awe-inspiring moment, which is what these movies are all about. Like scenes where you're kind of taken aback and taking it all in. So that was really well done. And I think the Voldemort Dumbledore fight is uh, was oh, really well great. staged and really superbly edited. Um, very exciting. Number three for me is The Philosopher's Stone. It's mostly for nostalgia. I don't really have mm-hmm. much desire to watch this again now because it's kind of a childish <laughs> Shame. Me- melodrama. But uh, I give it enormous credit for establishing this world. It casts all the characters. It designed Hogwarts. It designed the costumes. It designed the wands. It established the music. They had to figure out how they were going to film a game of kids flying on brooms. They had to figure out how they were going to do living paintings and moving staircases and trained owls and talking hats and ghosts and a giant red train. All this would have been a huge undertaking. And I, as like you said, Mauricio, they hit basically every target. It sounds and looks bang on. And uh, I was really invested when I saw it, 2001. So I'll always have sort of fond memories of that. I'm going off script here now because... Uh, <laughs> Number <laughs> go wild. I I struggle with my number two and my number one so so much, and I almost want to say they're tied. But if that's not allowed, then I will force myself to pick one. But uh, Adam has to decide that. Adam, what do Adam, you think? Yeah, what do you think? Can I tell? Can I make them tied, or are you going to make me pick two and one? Uh, I'm not going to make you do anything. So if you. Tr- <laughs> it- it's funny he's because he's got a gun to my head right now. You know you can't see it, but he's... it's funny because I was asking Jamie this, and her two are the same as your two, and she did the same thing. She couldn't pick. She honestly couldn't pick. So if you absolutely can't make it a tie, and just tell us what you like about both of them. But if one has an edge, give it to us. But whatever, whatever you feel in your heart. Obviously, I'm talking about Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire. Everything that you guys said about Goblet of Fire, I agree with. It was also my favorite book. It just had so much going the entire book. The Triwizard mm-hmm. Tournament, each each trial was really exciting. Um, I thought the movie did a great job of packing it all in. I know a lot of side stories were cut, and fans were upset about that. But honestly, I don't you miss them. To. Like, I, Yeah, for a movie, you can't have all this unnecessary stuff. Goblet of Fire has three has a lot, but I'm going to single out three really great moments that I just want to say. Like that movie is so good at having an, a little emotional tug. Um, number one is right before the Yule Ball. You know when you go to an event like a wedding or a, a, a show or something, and everyone meets in the lobby first or outside. Yeah. And, that's when you see like, oh, and you compliment everyone's suit or their dress, or you, it's fun to see, see people show up. We have that scene before the Yule Ball. They haven't gone into the Great Hall yet. They're all kind of coming down from their rooms, and Ron's in his like frilly, looks like his Aunt Tessie, that whole <laughs> gag, which is very funny. And he's talking about how like nobody asked Hermione, and she's probably upstairs in her room crying, and she's not going to come. And Ron goes in and we see Harry looking at Cho Chang and he's like, he's got a huge crush on her. And that's really nice. And then there's this shot 
of like up the stairwell and a wall and you just see Hermione sort of peek out behind it and it's timed perfectly with the music and she's got her hair all done and she's in her dress and she looks so like excited but nervous and the two girls that I saw this movie with in the theater both went ah at that moment and I and I understand why because it it's so charming to see Hermione totally out of her element like she's used to being in the classroom she's used to knowing knowledge and be book smart and a bit of a know-it-all but socially dating thinking of herself as like pretty is probably something new for Hermione and it's growing so, up growing up exactly she's take she's coming out of her shell and uh, then they all turn and look at her as she comes down the stairs I think Emma Watson was still a bit too young for that scene to really she yeah. kind of looks like a, like a little kid but uh, I think in the book it's like the moment that Harry and Ron are both like, oh my God, she's growing she's up. Like she's, yeah, she's exactly. So a really, really nice moment for that character. Uh, number two is at the very end when Harry and Voldemort are uh, locked in the, the, their wands are locked in that battle. And mm-hmm. you see the, the ghosts of people that Voldemort's killed come out and Harry's parents show up. So it's like Harry actually gets to speak to his dead parents. Directly, yeah. Yeah. And it's a really nice moment because, like, there's a lot going on there, so he can't exactly stop and be like, oh, hey, mom and dad. He, he doesn't really get to enjoy it or even really register what's going on, but they're there to help him. And the mom takes just a moment to say, let go, son. Like, you're there. Like, we've got you. And it's kind of like she can't help but just she calls him son or she calls him sweetie or something like something, some sort of connection. And it's just really nice to be like, even in the midst of all this, you get for a second there, you are reminded like, oh my God, this is Harry's mom. Like he's talking to his mom. Like she's there for him. It's the stuff that we all imagine is true of people we love that are deceased, that they're there looking Mm -hmm. out for us. And there we get to see that she's actually there um, doing it. And it keeps kind of cutting back to Voldemort, who's like, you can see in his face, he's like, what the hell's going on here? It's just a really, really cool moment. And number three is immediately after that they go back to hogwarts and everyone starts celebrating because harry's back and he's got cedric's dead body with him and you see some people in the crowd start to notice that like something's not quite right here and i think fleur like screams because she realizes cedric's dead and then it's just it's played really realistically like what would happen like guys come forward and they're like we got to get him out of here we got to get him out of here because there's a huge crowd of people watching and you see it like murmur through the crowds like, oh my God, a boy's been killed. And Harry's sc- crying and he's screaming and Cedric's dad like bursts his way through the crowd and he's like, that's my boy. And he just starts like screaming and crying and everyone in the crowd like hushes and is just like silent while he's screaming over his dead son. And it's such a heavy moment for a movie Very. that little kids are watching. Um. I remember in the theater being like, oh my God, like this is, this is gut wrenching and it's, and it's pain. They do not pull any punches yeah. in that scene. Um, it really hard war so, movie. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff like that makes that movie just unbelievable. And I don't know that it gets enough credit. I don't, the director's name is Mike Newell and I don't know what else he's done, but that is damn. He, he knows how to craft a scene with some really good moments. And yeah, he knows how to make it emotional. Yes. 
And finally, Prisoner of Azkaban. I, again, I have a lot of nostalgia for this one. As you guys said, it, it was the one that sort of turned the page and redefined the franchise a little bit, made it grow up a little bit, took it into the realm of more serious, added a sort of more like quirky British BBC style kind of tone to the humor, which uh, really made it authentic, I think. And I love the moments with uh, Harry and Lupin. You sort of get a direct connection to his past, like his parents' past. He kind of feels like he, he knows what it would have been like to be with his parents. And uh, the music is really great, too. It was the last one that John Williams did. Um, there's a track called Buckbeak's, Buckbeak's Flight when he, when he flies for the first time. Mm -hmm. And there's another one called Window to the Past when they're talking about uh, Lupin's talking about Harry's mother. That one was just, I saw that in the summer with some friends at a drive-in. So we were all like sitting Ooh, on the, you know, nice. some of us were on the roof of the van. Some of us were sitting in the back of the van and it was just a really nice moment. And it's got that real sort of summery nostalgic feelings. So if I had to pick one, Prisoner of Azkaban would just edge out Goblet of Fire a tiny, tiny bit. And that's my list. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for uh, <laughs> sitting through all that. That was great. I'll, I'll very be quiet good. for a long time now. No, 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 no. It was very good. And a little fun fact from the ball scene in uh, uh, Goblet of Fire, one of the musicians and the that rock band that pops up is Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. Whoa! Yeah, the, the guitar player on the band. And you, it's probably in the scene for two and a half seconds. And you have to actually <laughs> pay attention. Then you just see his classic, like, damp face of, ugh. And he's just playing there, and you're like... Who convinced this man to get there? And it's very fun fact. So Radiohead is in Harry Potter. There you go. Are all are all those musicians in that scene actual musicians? Did they cobble together I believe real so. rock stars? I, yeah. I believe so. I, I sort of didn't do full research. I just remember back in the day being like, Jenny Greenwood, I was just checking his, because he does amazing work on soundtracks for movies. Um, and then I saw like Harry Potter, the Gobbler Fire. I was like, what? What did what like it was part of the band? I said like, no fucking way. So I just have to go back and find him. It's like this is absurd and phenomenal. So the best of uh, of England and all those <laughs> Harry Potter movies always. <laughs> they couldn't get Tom York though. Tom York said he's oh he's uh, he's Dobby. Oh right. So, oh I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this, this makes me feel so much better because, like, as kind of an outsider as I feel, like, I, and, and coming into these movies, like, three and four, which it seemed like we all talked about arguably the most besides uh, Deathly Hollows Part Two, they're just great movies. Like, I don't know anything. I don't have any uh, context from the books, but when I sit down and watch three and four, they're really well made. And like you said, I don't know anything about that second director who did Goblet of Fire. I know Alfonso, he's... He's done a few things recently that I've seen, and it's just they're they're very well made, and all the moments that you said, daughter, are incredible. So I don't I, I'm surprised I didn't know that we all have kind of the same near the top. So that's that makes me feel good. Uh, I, my first question, I'm just kind of curious, what do you guys think is the biggest attraction to the Harry Potter series? Like what? Why is it? Why is it so popular? Let's see. It's hard to tell um, because it started when I was uh, very young. I was probably like nine, ten years old, and so I don't know how it was everything from the perspective of an adult. I just know like it was basically injected in my life. Like everyone was talking about it. I remember my dad um, trying to figure out like which book would open the world of reading for you the best. And then he got me um, Sorcerer's Philosopher, whatever stone. 
Um, whatever stone. I remember. Yeah, whatever stone, whatever rock. Sly and the, the family stone? The, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the memory I have, it's him introducing me to the book. And he even, I ha we have that book and he wrote like a message on it for me. Like uh, it was, you know, very father and son moment. And I remember clearly the first chapter we read it together. So I was in, in bed with him and he was just reading the book and he would read the first chapter. So I, me and my childish, uh, you know, point of view of everything, it was like, it became like a, an obsession of some sort. And also the movies were super entertaining. You see magic and stuff. Uh, same resonating with Lord of the Rings back in the day. So it was a mood more than anything. And then it became uh, a regular thing where if it was the next year, the two years later, you would keep catching up and more things would keep coming up. And the video games, I would play the hell out of the Harry Potter and PlayStation was hilarious and super fun. And that's why for me, uh, Harry Potter is the real boyhood. You know, people was like when Boyhood came out and it was like, it's so impressive. It took them, uh, I don't know, seven, 12 years to shoot the whole movie. And I'm like, dude, Harry Potter. Hello. It's the same cast for, I don't know, 10, same, 12, 13, 14 years. So for me, that took away the, the whoa, Boyhood. I was like, it's a very bad movie. Uh, but it's because I was defensive about the whole concept. Uh, so yeah, Harry Potter, it was, I grew up with it. And I, it was also important to see how you would grow up with the characters, almost like a, a Toy Story situation that you grew up with Andy and the detachment from your toys or stuff like that. It was the same with Harry Potter. You grew up with these characters and you see them grow. You are the same age, uh, at least on my, uh, for me, we're on the same age. And it, it was very relatable in that matter. And seeing them grow up and the darker the whole thing was getting... It was very emotional. Emotional. You get attached one way or another with the story, the characters, and the movies. So I think that played a huge role on me. I don't know why worldwide it was such an impact. Marketing, thank God, worked. But um, it, was, it definitely created a new generation of readers. And uh, it broke the mold one way or another. Jamie was saying too, like she's got a special place in her heart for Harry Potter too, because she, her and her mom, uh, her mom read her the first four books. It was kind of their thing they did. It was right when her brother was born, and Jamie was saying that uh, her mom actively wanted to have something that was theirs, just so she doesn't feel like kind of left out, because there's a new baby around and there's a lot going on. So she yeah. chose with Jamie, let's read these books together, and she'll never forget. Uh, reading the four, like they read every page together. I think she said the first four. Uh, so I think it's, there's a lot of nostalgia for sure for people. Do you have any thoughts, Don? Yeah. I, Mauricio touched on a lot of them. I think uh, they, they play on very universal themes that we can all sort of relate to. I mean, Harry Potter is almost the classic sort of hero's journey, right? He falls in the categories of uh, Dorothy Gale and Luke Skywalker and uh, Frodo you know, the, the person living an, an average mundane life who's then thrust into uh, adventure in a bigger world. And that's something we all relate to because we all want to, the coming of age story, right? We all want to uh, believe that we're going to hit young adulthood and, and hit our stride and, and grow into something, you know, even even just within our own worlds, something spectacular or, or do something significant. So Harry Potter is definitely that story how somebody can 
come from absolutely nothing and uh, and be brought into a, a larger world. And then I think we also like stories that have like a gimmick, kind of like uh, Star Wars has it where you're thrown into a new universe and we have to figure out how things work. You know, like this, instead of uh, boats, we have spaceships or men in black, you know, like, oh, look at how the alien, like how the society works or how this gadget works. And uh, I, I think generally we just like stories like that, like Avatar, that create a whole sort of fictional, fantastical universe and that it feels lived in. And um, definitely Harry Potter has that in spades, right? So it's really fun to see how magic is intertwined with things that we see in our day-to-day -day lives. It's just a cool concept. So the coming-of-age story mixed with a cool environment and a cool concept, I think, was just kind of lightning in a bottle for those movies and books. The last point is very important. It kind of, while he was saying, it, I was like, of course, that's that was a magic uh, formula. Is that it takes place in our world, like uh, Star Wars, um, Lord of the Rings, all those take place, you know, space or Middle Earth. So it's places that are not there, don't exist, or they're magical in itself. But this takes place in our world. It's in London, in the UK. It's it's part of our universe, and they even say this is real. We're just hiding it from you. So the idea that it could happen to you, especially as a kid. The idea that many people were saying, like, I'm still waiting for my Hogwarts uh, letter to arrive. You know, it's the idea that it can happen. It can break the regular life you're having, and you can actually be a wizard. You can actually look at the sky and pay attention to see if you see an owl or you see uh, someone flying in a broom. It was that Pretty, connection uh, with reality. Pretty Charlie the Chocolate Factory, too. Yeah. It's it it could this could be you this could happen to you and your neighbor could be a wizard your neighbor could be a witch, so it's that was exciting of it that breaks the boring uh, universe we live in and offers you the opportunity to escape, and that behind every wall in in your city could be a, a wizard uh, place for you to get in. So I think that for a kid it's super attractive because even though I. I love Star Wars. I know I knew I can't become a Jedi. I'm not in space. I don't have superpowers. What is this? But Harry Potter was just like, well, he didn't know he had it. I might have a slight chance. I could be there. <laughs> Andrew's choking me through the screen. Andrew's <laughs> using the force right now. <laughs> yeah. He's, he was like, shut up. But yeah, I think that was a big aspect. I think Andrew, you know, hit the nail on the head. Is, it's like, it's there. It's, it's, it's reachable. And that uh, for a kid is super attractive and uh, yeah it makes you dream so we went on the journey together with the mcu and i just wanted to compare it uh like compare the two franchises because i didn't experience harry potter at all like i said i never saw any of them in the theater and i'm just curious to compare the build-up to deathly hollows part two and avengers endgame uh Andrew, you first. Were you more excited for one of them? Like, w was it about the same? Was it on the same level? Yeah, probably on about the same level. Although it's hard to say because MCU was so much more recent. So I, I'm having a little trouble remembering back in 2011, I think it was, like what the lead up to Harry Potter was. I think probably what made MCU a little bit more exciting was that I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, so it, as exciting as it was to see the books come to the screen, there wasn't the element of um, how is this going to conclude. So it, probably emotionally, like I, like you said, I had invested about 10 years into into either franchise. Um, 
MCU sticks out a little bit, but very close. A very similar uh, experience. Yeah, and I think the source material for Harry Potter is very well contained. It's, you read this book, you get it. MCU has so many branches. It goes so many places that, honestly, me, even if I was an uh, active comic reader, I would be watching the movies and I was like, I don't know which direction they're going to take because there are so many. So I think MCU, for me, even though it's based on comics, it translates to mainly just the movies because they created, even though they take uh, characters that already exist and there's a story kind of put together, they, they create their own pers- version of them. So it was always a surprise. And I, again, it was an entertaining thing as an adult. It's just different. It hits you different. Um, so, yeah, I, don't, I think it's. I think it's comp- it was very, very d- different for me. Not even close experience. Also, to travel through Harry Potter movies and Avengers or MCU movies is very different. Like I think we have more of an emotional tie to the characters in Harry Potter. They kind of felt more yeah. like family. Like I watched these kids grow up as I was growing up. Like you said. MCU is more exciting, but I wasn't as personally invested in those characters. Like I don't love Tony Stark. I like him a lot, but but um, like watching Harry, Ron, and Hermione, that that's that has more of an emotional resonance. One thing I wanted to bring up, I did a little bit of digging, and uh, I discovered that uh, the first three uh, books, uh, compared to the fourth, fifth, and sixth book. They're double in length with the books, but the movies are around the same time in regards to like the runtime. And I'm based on what Jamie told me, they cut a lot out of books four, five, and six. You guys have talked about it a little bit. Do you think that was beneficial for the movies? Because I know Andrew said he really liked Order of the Phoenix. I remember you talking. So maybe you go first, Andrew. You said that you liked what they did with the adaptation from the book to the movie for Order of the Phoenix. So I'm just curious, was it beneficial? Clearly it was for you, but just in general. Well, it depends how you're gonna how you're going to uh, what is it Gandalf says? All you have to decide is what you're going to do with the time. What to that's do given with the time you. that's being given to you? Yes. <laughs> uh, thanks you very much. Good night, folks. I think um, <laughs> that's the whole point. You've got around two hours. What are you going to do? So, Goblet of Fire, like I said, they had to cut stuff out. I think what they cut out, as much as it bothered the fans. Makes sense. Cut it out. Lose it. We don't need it. Mm. The movie works. Order of the Phoenix toes the line, I think. They cut it out so that they could really take the time to play in scenes where they wanted to take the time and play. And then Half-Blood Prince, for me, they cut out stuff and then they used that time with nothing good. <laughs> you know, they didn't, they didn't make the most of the time that was given to them. They should have packed important stuff in there. So it, it really changes, Adam, to answer your question, from movie to movie. Sometimes they did it appropriately, and sometimes I don't think they do. Because David Yates remained the director for uh, 5, 6, then 7, Part 1, and 7, Part 2, I think his ego got a bit bloated, and I think he started to go places that uh, his attention probably should have been turned elsewhere. You're, you're nodding, Mauricio. Do you agree? <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And also, like, we need to understand that there's something, you know, the, the beauty of a book is that there's no limitations. You can keep going as much as you want. The universe, it's, you know, there's no barrier. If so, when you decide, you sign the contract to say, I'm going to turn this into a movie, and me as a a viewer, I'm going to go and see a movie, you need to understand the certain parameters. Like, I'm not going to be in the movie theater, I'm sorry. As much as I love what I'm watching, I'm not going to be there for 
five hours because I want to see every little thing because I want to see Hermione and her movement to help the domestic elf uh, fart, whatever the name was. So I, you spew. need to spew or that. So you need to do the sacrifice and understand the format, the framing of a movie. It's completely different from a book. You are trapped in probably between two hours and a half to three hour um, world where you have to squeeze things in. I do agree with Andrew that, for example, this, the uh, Half-Blood Prince, the, um, the Sepia movie, they did take out things that were very, I want to say very important, but they were more exciting than some of the ones that made it into the movie. Probably they uh, spent too much time having fun with the uh, personality of the new teachers, Slowborn, Slowhorn. So I think that was too much of the, the funny side and they skip things. And I do get why the movies limitate that. And I appreciate it. That's part of the game to be smart enough to say, what can we tell in a way that makes the, mo the, the, the story flow? And I think sometimes you miss the mark. And I think that happened with Deadly Hollows 2 when they talk about Dumbledore's past. It's literally like, sorry, if you read, and read the book, you're not going to understand this part. So move on. Because they talk about some things that I'm like, what? And then you read the book and you're like, oh, okay. That was probably me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I they talk lot. about the sister and then, yeah. So everyone reacts, oh, that's Dumbledore's sister. And it's like, are we supposed to know this? Of course you do if you read the book. And I think that's also part of it that you have to understand this is a book series and you still need to give some more quality to the book reader because they are the ones that are here since day one. Uh, movie spectators, they could chill and just go with the ride with all the sparkles and uh, beautiful colors popping out of the, the wands. So I understand the new framing and I'm okay with that. And you have to go with the mindset that I'm not going to see a, a full, I don't know, 600 long page book in two hours and a half. That's absurd. And yeah, I'm okay with that. You have, you do what has to be done. <laughs> Um, I have a few more rapid fire questions and then we can wrap this up just cause, uh, we've talked about a lot now. So we can just do some quick answers. If you want to, if you want to elaborate, go ahead. My first one is, uh, do you prefer the books or the movies? Mauricio. Uh, oh, shit. I rapid, rapid, rapid. <laughs> the books. Books. Ooh. Andrew. Movies. Ooh, perfect. I love that. I prefer the movies because I haven't seen the books. <laughs> <laughs> you had no option. Number two, which I think you both maybe answered both or part of uh, part of this two-part question, but which film had the best adaptation from the book and which film had the worst? Andrew. Oy, 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 oy. Uh, best, uh, you know, I might have to say best adaptation is Philosopher's Stone simply because of how much they had to adapt. Um I can't remember what got cut out and what got left in. Maybe, uh, see, as I, as I talk now, they probably should have cut some stuff out of that movie that they didn't. But just the fact that they had so much adapting to do, I'll give it to Philosopher's Stone. Worst one, yeah, I would go with Half-Blood Prince or, uh, yeah, we'll go with Half-Blood Prince. Mauricio? Hmm. I think the best one for me, I'm going to agree with Andrew, I think it was Philosopher's Stone. It was a perfect opener. Everything that you love from the book was there, one way or another, even if in the background. They gave you what you wanted, you got it. 
I think the worst adaptation, not because I think it played well for the movie, but it didn't play well for the book. It was uh, Order of the Phoenix because the Order of the Phoenix is a lot of stuff. And I think it helped that they basically did a different thing because you read the fight scene in the fifth and that book and it's like, oh, they changed a ton of things. And I liked it more than the book, honestly. So that changed my the answer for the first question, by the way. I like the movies more. <laughs> I, I just thought of one, too. If you don't have answers, it's fine. We, you don't have to answer. But who do you think was the best director in the series? Well, I think I've, Andrew said it. I think, yeah, my answer was probably Mike Newell, the director of Goblet of Fire. And then a very close second would be Elf. Well, she's again, I got to give a lot of credit to Chris Columbus, too, for what he did. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Between those... Between those three, and it's funny, David Yates is the one who's done the most, and he doesn't spring to mind. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with him, and um, yeah, the Gobbler Fire for me was uh, one of the best directed films for Harry Potter. Tied there, I would say Alfonso Cuaron, because he was, I think, you need to have some bravery to say, I'm going to change the direction of this drastically to make it the way it is, like, drastic. And I think he aimed, you know, he aimed, he pointed, and hit the mark. This can go towards either the books or the movies. It doesn't matter. Who is your favorite character or who may, who are your three favorite characters? If you can't just pick one. Who, who's at the top? Mauricio. Oh, sh- uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm so sorry. Uh, th- no, it's okay. We only have 200 characters to yeah. choose from. <laughs> With very easy names to pronounce. Um... <laughs> Honestly, I I think as a character that is I feel me was complete and great. I think one great character is Dolores Umbridge. I think even though it's a hate a character you hate, the it's the second most hated person. I think people hate her more than Voldemort, because he's evil, he's bad, but she's just she's just a monster. And so I think she's very important. I really like her as a character in books and movies. I I really like Dumbledore. I think he's a very, very nice, you know, chain of power there. He represents the cool, powerful dude. Um but yeah, I think I think this will be the, the most and basically almost everyone on the on the um, Weasley family. <laughs> I think they're all hilarious in their own way. What about they're very charming. They're the closest to an actual family. Even Percy? Oh, he can go to hell. But uh <laughs> the, Okay, all the Weasley families are, are in the house in the Order of Phoenix hanging out. I think they are the cool the cool cats. And yeah, I think they're the closest to a family and the mom is just amazing. At the end, when she's fighting, uh, you know, trying to defend her like not my daughter bitch. And like, oh, I think that character broke them all just with that phrase. I was like, now that's what we were building. To. And that's in the book too. Who are your favorites, Andrew? Well, I, uh, I I can't answer. I don't know. I'll pick one. It's uh, I don't know. He's my favorite. But reading the book before the movie came out, I always liked uh, Lupin, Remus Lupin, who mm. was uh, the professor, one. Defense Against the Dark yeah. Arts teacher in three, and then we find out he was a good friend of uh, James and Lily's in the past, and he's a werewolf. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why he just I. Everyone goes crazy over Sirius Black, and I always liked Lupin. And then I saw the movie, and David Philwis, I looked at him, and I was like, that's not what I pictured. And then throughout the movie, I really liked what he did with it. So he grew on me both in the books and the movies separately. So for some reason, I've always liked that character. He's a cool substitute teacher. 
He's the cool substitute teacher and sort of one of the first real sort of mentors that Harry gets, right? Like a real kind of dad figure. What house are we in? <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> actually, uh, Jamie and I did the test. I believe uh, – what did I – what are you guys? Do you guys know? What did I get? It wasn't Slytherin. Well, I – I, I, oh, I hope oh. not. I, I did, uh, I did the Pottermore. Is that what you're talking about? The one that you have to like pay for? The I don't, we, I don't yeah, think yeah. Jamie paid for it, but yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't know there was one you could pay for, but there's we, an official one that you have to have an account. And, uh, I took the test, but I was with someone and they answered a couple of questions for me because I wasn't paying attention. So I don't know if it's a true representation or not, but, uh, I think I'm a Ravenclaw. <laughs> is that what I got? I can't remember what I got. What are the name? Uh, say all the four names for me. Ravenclaw, yeah. Hufflepuff, Slytherin, and Klingon. And Gryffindor. <laughs> it was Hubble. And Klingon. <laughs> Sorry if I pronounced this wrong. What was it? Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Yes, that's the one I was. You need to say British. That's the one I was. What does You're that mean? You were Hufflepuff. I think so. What does that mean? You're... Sexy, good looking. <laughs> I don't know. Is that what? <laughs> you tell me. I don't know. Jamie? It means you're very organized and. Yeah, that's me. Plan everything. You like tea. You like tea. You collect um, uh, magic cards. Okay. And Rocky. Um, <laughs> and I like Rocky. Yeah. I don't know. You like Rocky. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Okay. We got sidetracked there. I love it though. I'm pretty sure that's what I got. Jamie asked me the questions and then she just told me. I didn't actually see anything what, what she was doing, but I think that's what it was, but I could be wrong. Uh, the final question I want to end this episode on is... Do you guys think Harry, the both the movies and the books, uh, do you think Harry Potter uh, will stand the test of time and be popular for generations to come 50 years, 100 years from now? Do you think they're going to be as popular then as they are now? Sure answer. Yeah, I think it's already proven it. Like I can speak like from witnessing like my, my nieces and my nephew, they, they watch the, the Harry Potter movies and they like it. Will the reading of the book survive through times i don't know depending on the generations if they want to read a book or not but i feel the movies are going to be around the same star wars will and many others like wizard of Oz and stuff like that i think they're part of our generation and the next one especially because we still say things related to the movies like there's there's a, a, a like a, lang a specific language a vocabulary that comes out of that and people are going to try to find the source of that calling someone a muggle or stuff like that and it's gonna re be a reference for a lot of future uh, stuff so yeah i definitely think they're gonna be around for <laughs> a good chunk of time i think uh i think some executives at warner brothers are asking themselves the exact same question uh adam i think they're they're hoping that they can just keep churning out movies so that the answer is yes that no <laughs> one ever has an opportunity to forget about harry potter um you know what? I, I, I don't know the answer, but I wouldn't be heartbroken if they do not fade away into obscurity, but just get put on the shelf as like an old classic, you know, in the same way that like no one's rushing to see Gone with the Wind these days, but it's always there. You know, I'm happy to leave Harry Potter on the shelf. Everyone sees it once. It's kind of beloved, but it's not the like mainstream thing. Don't do it. What, don't do to Harry Potter what you're doing to Star Wars where you're just running it into the ground forever let it sit there and let it collect a little dust and inspire people in future generations to make their own stories that capture the same nostalgia they felt about Harry Potter, right? Like you got to let the past kind of sit on in the past in order to move forward sometimes. So let Harry Potter sit there. It deserves its place on the top shelf 
and uh, you know keep keep watching it, but also let it rest. Yeah, and I think it's not gonna be forgotten because it already has a theme park. So even if you go there, kids are gonna be like, "What is that dragon on the top of the building?" It's like, <laughs> "Oh, let me tell ya." So I think it's gonna be around for generations. Impact parents, the parents will pass it to their kids, and it's gonna be around for a while. Andrew, you could almost say you want the books to live long and prosper. <laughs> Segway. Wrong, wrong, We're gonna wrong. talk about Star Trek now. <laughs> ah, all right, I'm down. So my tenth yeah. favorite movie is. <laughs> okay, let's let's we're gonna wrap this up. Sorry, sorry everyone. Uh, can I can I can I just can I just give a final uh, fire round question? Just one. You question. can do whatever you just want, Mauricio. Really all right. So this is my final question for all of all of you, and I'm gonna answer it myself. Uh, what would your Patronus be? Oh, <laughs> I don't know oh. what that is. So. <laughs> the Patronus is the, okay. Here I go. It's this pill they use against the mantras that take the shape of a of an animal, like you know, like a stack for Harry. Frog? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> well, mine. I thought about it, and I just went through my personality or stuff like that, and I thought like I'm, I'm between a hungry pig, or <laughs> a very anxious, <laughs> a very anxious like um, meerkat. That would be so my two choice. Timon and Pumbaa then. Yeah, but yeah, basically, I'm always like hungry, but at the same time, very like, oh my god, what is going to happen? Is this the thing so in, in I think Goblet of Fire when the thing's coming at them, they have to do the spell and it turns into something? That's yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. okay, I got you, got you. Um, I don't know what I would and pick. He has his tag. Uh, just think of an you animal be a that represents you. I think you're a parrot. I have to go. Parrot. I have to go. I I got. E- <laughs> I have eagle blood. I, I I'm I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I feel like it'd be an eagle. Okay, I'll take that. I Are think you that's patriotic. Cool. Yeah, and I'm very patriotic. <laughs> I have no idea. Sloth? I don't. <laughs> sloth. <laughs> that for anyone that doesn't You're know, lying. that's my favorite gift to send to, to Dodd is a sloth yawning when he's. Just, I don't know what he's doing. He's just yawning. <laughs> it's my favorite. And gift. He sends me a lot of gifts. Yeah. Don't be mistaken. <laughs> Okay, all right. all right. Let's let's wrap it up. Uh, for all the Harry Potter fans that have been listening, I do apologize, but I think Mauricio and Andrew made up for my lack of knowledge. So I, I'm we appreciate you joining us, uh, and Andrew and Mauricio, I appreciate you guys spending some time with me and talking Harry Potter. And uh, yeah, until next time, we will. Uh, you know, I don't know what our next episode is, but I'm looking forward to seeing you guys and whatever we do next. It's been magical. Always. I don't know any Harry Potter lines, so one of you have to end us on something. I just did. Okay. (laughs) Perfect. Great. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And Andrew and Marisa, have a great day. Bye, boys. Bye. Hey there. Remember that you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and many other options. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram as The Viewer's Cut. Bye-bye.